This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Visit us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord did not answer him. This line in verse 6 of our Old Testament reading today speaks of the event that brought King Saul to commit the heinous sin that we read about in 1 Samuel 28, seeking help of a witch to ascertain the will of God. The lesson we can learn from Saul's sin is the crucial importance of the sources we use to foster and pursue a relationship with God. There are God-commanded sources and God-forbidden sources. Our life and our parish must be based on three areas of fostering a relationship in Jesus Christ. Our worship and our prayer together, our study of God's holy word together, and our godly fellowship meant to encourage one another in the love of Jesus Christ. All three are crucial to the life of the church. If we lack in any area, we will be wanting. This is part of the reason we are changing our schedule starting next week, making sure all of us have the opportunity to worship and pray, that all of us have the opportunity to learn and study God's word in Sunday school, and that all of us have the opportunity to fellowship with one another. Saul, in our lesson today, sought forbidden means to these three areas of relationship with God. As we open this chapter this morning, Saul and Israel faced another crisis, another invasion by the Philistines. As we've been reading in the last year in Saul's reign as king, the actions of the Philistines had cost him dearly in terms of how he responded to their pressure. Early in his reign, while encamped against the Philistine army, with his own army deserting at an alarming rate, Saul, as we remember, took matters into his own hands. Instead of obeying God to wait for the servant of the Lord and Samuel to come to offer the proper sacrifice before the battle, Saul offered it on his own. As a result, the Lord took the kingdom from him. Saul had a history of relying on his own strength, impatient when it came to his obedience to God. Again, Saul faced the same challenge as he had faced his entire life. It was so bad here in chapter 28, even that David was initially part of the Philistine contingent. The judgment against Saul that had been warned against and promised in earlier years was about to hit its final note. Initially, Saul's response, as we read this morning, was how we would expect the faithful to come to the Lord in such circumstances, as we read in verse 1 of our psalm today, where it said, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Yet Saul had long ago in his life turned his back on God through several major acts of disobedience, followed by an unwillingness to repent 
He had established with God that he only cared about doing things his way, no matter how dire the situation. Saul, as we read, did the following in verse 6, attempting to seek God's will by prayer, by his word, by his priests and his prophets. We read, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. All three of these were used by God's servants in ancient Israel. They were forms of God's guidance that he had given them in his word. Dreams and prophets by the prophets of God and the Urim through the priests of God. But God did not answer Saul, even though he used these proper channels of relationship to God through seeking his will. But with all the years in Saul's life of a lack of repentance, an unwillingness to submit to God, Saul was no longer in relationship with God. He no longer had the ability to have an audience with God. He cut himself off repeatedly and now was reaping the whirlwind of God's silence. Yet Saul, if he knew the law of God, the word of God as it had been written up to this point in history, would have known the only thing left for him to do at this point was to continue to wait, to pray, and repent. But Saul, as we've been reading in this book, never waited on the Lord in prayer if it was inconvenient to him. Saul never repented in a genuine fashion because such would mean he would have to stop serving self and serve God. Even at this juncture, he still acted as he has always acted in his life with God, with impatience. Ultimately, this was tossing trust for God out for trust in sinful things, for trust in self. We must be careful in our own walks of faith that we make sure we serve God alone over our selfish ambitions. We must take care we put God first in all things, even when it grates against our pride. Unfortunately, the American church has many Saul-like characters that know nothing of the meaning of what it is to seek God in prayer, prolonged prayer by his word, through waiting, through patience. Too many of us place timelines of our own devising into the mix to put an ultimatum to God to act in a time that we want, that we see fit. But when we do this, employing pagan techniques to God, to his church, and to each other, we fall into the Saul trap of just offering our own sacrifice because we're sick and tired of waiting for everyone in the church to come around to our views and our sense of timing. We think it's okay to challenge God's law to love him, our neighbors, and our enemies to the point we'll only love those we want to love, making excuses as to why we will not obey completely as Saul sought to make excuses for not obeying God completely against the Amalekites. Proper godliness means wait, even when we feel we have waited long enough. Instead of this proper godliness in obeying his word is to ask for help, even when we feel we can't wait any longer. To ask for help, for the strength to continue to wait. Otherwise, we in impatience with how things are not going our way will resort to sinful manners of finding God's will and fostering relationship with him. As we read in verse 7, where Saul impatiently does the following, 
Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And a servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Samuel, earlier in this book, the prophet, had said the following to Saul in his disobedience regarding the Amalekites. He said, For rebellion is as the sin of divinization, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being king. Any rebellion against God is a step closer to opening ourselves up to seek divine help through forbidden means such as witchcraft, substance abuse, psychedelics, false religions, worship of the state, and so many other things. Next, in verses 8 through 15, we see Saul disguising himself to take the sinful step of physically going to the witch's house at Endor. Part of the initial exchange in this section occurred with Saul having to reassure this medium that he would not hurt her. King Saul had cut off the mediums of the land and others that practiced witchcraft earlier in his reign. As he fell further from God in his word, such actions as we see here became fruitless. Saul, in verse 10, continues to dig himself deeper into the abyss of rebellion against God. As he told the witch, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Saul completed his turn from God through making an oath by the Lord to protect a medium in his attempt to get around God's silence. When we're not grounded in God's word, we will seek to get around his word, to find shortcuts. But we must remember that all shortcuts go through the demonic. The importance of grounding in the word of God is critical. Saul showed here he was grounded in self, not in God. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 gives us the three pillars that we spoke about in the beginning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, of course, is the study of God's word. Worship is the breaking of bread and our prayers. Fellowship is our relationship to God and Christ through his body and the church and our lives together in love, forgiveness, and obedience. Fellowship includes our worship, our teaching, our breaking of bread. It connects all in Jesus Christ. Saul, in going to a medium, a counterfeit, in a forbidden way, sought to seek God through a false word, through a false teaching, praying to demons, worshiping demons. We must be careful we do not do the same through what's increasingly acceptable in our own culture in terms of other deities and idols, such as the state. Our trust is in God alone through Christ and the words he's given us to live by every day. This is why for us as Christians, the study of the word of God is critical for all of us, whether we've been Christians for one year or for decades. If we feel like we've arrived and do not need to learn and relearn with fellow believers through the means that the church has established and given us, We do just as much disservice to the body of Christ as avoiding fellowship and worship. All are key to our healthy relationships with Christ. All are key to helping us obey, to know what is right, to know what is wrong, regardless of the circumstance. Our presence is key with each other, even in the study of God's word for mutual growth 
and encouragement. Verses 15 through 19 contains the words of the prophet Samuel from the grave as a result of this pagan practice of bringing him up. In essence, the final judgment of Saul's life is leveled against him for his repeated denial of the word of God in favor of his impatient shortcuts, culminating with seeking the demonic for help. Because of all this, the fulfillment of the kingdom being taken from him would occur through this latest invasion of the Philistines. There was no way out for him. Saul sought his own way throughout his reign. He did not like how God commanded him to do something, so he did it his way. He did not want to wait for the prophet to offer the sacrifice, so he offered it. Repeatedly, Saul acted more as Adam and Eve in the garden, not content in what God gave him. He was as though those that we read today in the gospel that had labored the whole day and thought it not fair that those that labored just one hour received the same benefit, the same reward. Saul always wanted more and did all he could to obtain it, even going to a witch. Discontentment leads to rebellion. Rebellion leads to idolatry. When discontent, we seek our own selfish ways, or we spend too much of our time comparing ourselves to other Christians, seeking every flaw we can find in others to make ourselves feel superior to make ourselves feel like we're worthy of more wages than our fellow brothers and sisters. All the while, we destroy ourselves because in such discontentment, comparing, and self-promotion, we stray from a true relationship with God and Christ, setting up our own scripture to replace his word. In the end, if we keep straying through these means, we will end up as a Saul, without hope because we place all our hope in our works through comparisons, through selfishness. The way of our Lord Jesus Christ is worship of God alone and the knowledge of his word through total surrender to him. The last section of our chapter in verses 20 through 25, it speaks of the aftermath of Saul hearing of his impending doom. In these verses, we also see Saul sealing the deal, if you will, that began with impatiently seeking a witch over God's word and of worshiping and praying to false gods. The complete deal was to break bread and fellowship with a witch in defiance of God. It is telling in the exchange here of how eerily similar it is or was to how the, the serpent tempted Eve in the garden to eat what she knew was forbidden. Verse 21 records the words of the medium to Saul. Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. After Saul finally relented, we read that she slaughtered a fatted calf and made bread for him to eat. Our fellowship with each other in the body of Jesus Christ is deeply spiritual. Starting with is what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, a breaking bread around the Lord's table, as we will do in a few minutes. From there, our fellowship is centered upon Jesus Christ and the service that we all render to him alone, obeying him alone. 
All we do as the church in terms of spending time with each other in fellow, is fellowship, centered in our worship around his body and his blood. Fellowship in the New Testament is so important that in the spiritual context of the body of Christ, the context of worshiping and serving God, the people we spend time with must be fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. If you think about it, the Holy Spirit is always drawing in the lost to redemption through Christ alone, to join us in his church, to submit to Christ with us in his church, to fellowship in him as his body around his table. For Saul in the lesson today, leaving God completely to go under the authority of a demonic and pagan witch was sealed through an unholy meal. Now the times where we read of Jesus dining with sinners is different than fellowshipping with fellow believers. We are all called to reach out to the lost with the gospel, calling them to faith in Christ, even in the context of eating with them. Yet as we read with Jesus in the Gospels and the Apostles, these meals were common meals, not in the context of worship and being part of their religion. If hanging out with the lost, though, turns into invitations from them to join them in their pagan spirituality, in their pagan fellowship, sharing in some way with their false religion, we are pulling a Saul. Now, this can happen in many ways, even in our own day, that would not necessarily look like what we just read with going to a pagan witch. We have to be mindful of the lost and the religions they practice around us and the acts of fellowship around their false gods that they all practice, whether it's the worship of demons or the worship of the state. Breaking the second commandment can mean either one. Just because there are not weird incantations involved does not mean false worship is occurring. If the means of our reaching the lost through meals and spending time is geared to point them to Christ alone, outside the trappings of what they consider sacred, we are an obedient ground. But if, though, in reaching the lost, we are treading inside their places of worship, whether formal or informal, participating in their unholy fellowship meals. We're standing on disobedient ground. Our fellowship is important in the life of the church. This is part of the reason we're moving back to one main service on our Sundays. Yet fellowship ceases to be fellowship if it turns into selfishness, if it turns into something that might offend others or drive others away. The New Testament is full of examples of bearing with each other as we serve Jesus Christ together. Part of that is how we spend our time. Is our fellowship as fellow believers sacred, meant to build each other up in the love and encouragement of Jesus Christ? Or is it something else? Does it tear others down? We must ask these tough questions of self-examination as we are about to make more opportunities and time to fellowship. In order to have a healthy and vibrant church, worship and prayer are crucial. The study together of God's word is crucial. And godly fellowship that is giving and not selfish is crucial. My hope in changing back to one service, to a one service format, is to foster all three of these for all of us. 
May we learn deeply from the fall of King Saul so that we can discern truly between false prayer and worship and true prayer and true worship, so that we can discern between false scriptures and the true word of God, and so that we can discern between false fellowship and true fellowship in our Savior Jesus Christ. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen.